Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. We are almost, almost at the end of the season two and super, super excited about the live that's going to conclude uh, the series two. If you haven't checked it out, it's on LinkedIn, uh, it's going to be on social and we're going to have not one, not two, not three podcasts, but four podcasts around the world, US, Europe and Australia all coming together to celebrate the end of season two. And soon after, we're going to start rocking up effectively season three and we're going to get prepared for it. But today uh, I want to Welcome back, Carla, uh, an old friend and ex-founder uh, of Bitcher Madden that uh, is a recruitment firm here in the UK that expanded in the US. And Carla had a little bit of a, of a growth period from recruitment, founder, and uh, into specific cyber, into more right now the threat intelligence. And on that aspect, we actually focus on the particular uh, supply chain attack that affected a lot of people. There was a solar wind attack and how effectively seeing that attack into big organizations like Microsoft that likely released CodeQL uh, identifier for uh, the solar wind um, signature. And... You know, we explore a little bit how the supply chain and how uh, supply chain management uh, could help identifying this problem. And then, of course, we're going to close on uh, the um, involvement of Carla in all the cybersecurity industry and the good and positive aspect of a more inclusive world. It was a super exciting conversation. I really hope you enjoy. Stay safe and make sure your suppliers are safe. This is Francesco, your host, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Enjoy. Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have the absolute pleasure to have Carla Redford on the on the show, and we're actually going to have the chance to cover two of one of my favorite topics: that is uh, cyber skill shortage and cybersecurity. But most importantly, the supply chain issue and what we saw in recent time with uh, the recent challenge on on the supply chain, specifically with SolarWind. But without further ado, let me introduce Carla Redford. So Carla is the CEO of uh, Orpheus Security. And Carla, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background? How did you end up from uh, the recruitment space into more the CEO and into the more the threat feed and uh, threat intelligence? Sure. Well, I think most people know me as uh, being part of Beecher Madden, and I was one of the founders of Beecher Madden uh, about 10 years ago now. And Beecher Madden grew from when we started and I sold the business in 2017, stayed with the company that acquired us to do a little bit more work with them internationally, eventually moving to America. 
and really I haven't been a recruiter for quite some time I think uh, I've made two placements in five years I probably uh, <laughs> don't think I would have kept myself on in the business so really I'm a you know I'm a business leader that's my experience growing uh, scaling selling businesses so it made me quite a nice fit for Orpheus who are in the cyber threat intelligence and third-party risk management space and have some big growth plans this year so I've come on board there to really look at how they can grow as a business internally and also their sort of positioning externally as well. Fantastic and how do you see well actually before we dive in because uh, I'm is a very keen subject so I'm keen to dive in but we have a tradition on, on the podcast that we want to give the audience a very very quick uh, cybersecurity advice on either personal or any, any kind of topic that you want very very quick security advice so many um i would say i know i get asked a lot about getting into cyber and i would say to find the area that really interests you because cyber is actually a very broad topic you know so it might be threat intelligence might be cloud security but find your niche and then really focus on that that's my quick advice no that's fantastic and i think it's really important because you can get distracted really really easy about the 400 things that you can do no, that's yeah. great. And so in the supply chain uh, challenge and in the whole threat intelligence, it's been of recent, like a super, super uh, focused topic because we had uh, the recent breach of uh, solar wind that then had a cascade and a chain effect on a lot of other suppliers. We saw Microsoft in there. We saw a lot of other big names and it got scary, got scary very, very quickly. And we had, we've seen a lot of even government uh agencies uh, getting an actioning on that uh, on that news very very quickly so what what are you guys doing and what are your thoughts about that and why are we why are we getting it so wrong from a solar perspective i think the solar winds breach you know i think that i don't think there's anyone out there that's really claiming they could stop it i don't think anybody <laughs> could you know i think that's a really useful thing for the industry right to be able to say look we're we're not infallible there, there will be risks we just have to decide as a business how much risk we want to accept but i think the other great thing to come out of it is that supply chain piece i think it's really highlighted uh, to a broader audience how important the supply chain is within your cyber security and i think there's been you know there's, there's teams within particularly financial services who've been pushed by their regulators for a little while and that's increasing but I think we're really starting to see an understanding of that and an understanding that we need to know who's in our supply chain and know what risks they have and we're definitely seeing a move away from that you know annual questionnaire where we just take what you say as gospel and, and, and <laughs> that, that, we did our bit what more could we do um, you know we're definitely seeing a move away from that and I think the, the solar winds breach is only going to make that easier for people to kind of get the attention of the board to be able to say, well, look, this is how it happens. So it's, it's, it's actually happened and now it, it becomes a reality rather than that scary manga threat and, and the scale of that, um, if you want to attack, because solar wind has been in the in the business for a long time and build a lot of dependencies has really showed that it's something to take seriously. But if, if we want to take an aspect, so from a cyber perspective, we always know that, you know, we, we are connected by other suppliers. We know that something might happen. It's not the first time actually something like this has happened. But uh, from a legal and, uh, you know, business perspective, from the business aspect perspective, how do you see that risk? And how do you see that maybe from a, a legal perspective, how do we tackle that uh, when we negotiate, for example, a contract with a supplier? 
rather than you know the traditional checklist and checkbox uh, security by checkbox exercise <laughs> well i think we look to you know what are some of the regulators saying and they're saying you know you need to have the contracts in place that make security a part of that you need to have ways in your contract to break those contracts if you need to if the security requirements aren't being met so we can see them already saying this is something you need to do and i think the other thing that we're seeing is kind of this move to actually you know, you need to monitor and you need to be involved with your suppliers. Actually, if we can help our suppliers, we can improve the whole security system uh, as a whole. Um, and it needs to it needs to move in that direction. And that's certainly what we're helping companies do. And I think one of the, the critical things is looking at not just, you know, not what gaps do they have, but what's actually the threat to those companies as well. Let's, let's combine the two and kind of take a really measured approach to it. Um, and, you know, what's the what's the impact to the company? You know, that's the bit that we Orpheus can't do, but companies need to. You know, you really need to understand who's a critical supplier rather than sort of, you know, applying the same controls to, to everybody, which I think most companies, most large companies are mature enough that they're, they're doing that. But, um, you know, it's those three kind of things coming together that are really important. Like, damn it, I still need to do the legwork <laughs> of knowing my business. <laughs> Yeah, if only, yeah, if only there was the magic one to say, please to tell me everything that I need to know about my business, where my data is, and who I'm, I'm actually doing business with, because I can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we hear that often, like from big companies, you know, it's hard, right? It's hard to know where all your data is, who are all your suppliers, you know, people have got things that they're signing up to and things that they want to use every day, probably more so in the last 12 months. So, you know, it's, it is hard to understand exactly where all your risks are if you're a large organization. Yeah, but I've seen, so I've seen the, the two opposite side of it. I've seen organizations just wrapping themselves up in governance against governance and control of the controller of the controller um, to actually ensure their process rather than rationalizing the process. And they can hold complete innovation and hold completely a company just into bureaucracy. So if you want, how do we balance between uh, wanting to control their risk and, want, and, and trying to prevent their risk and the completely different aspect on saying, well, we assume breach, we assume that everybody's malicious and, you know, where, where do we go in this, this broad spectrum of, of things, in your opinion? I think one of the really key things is the the soft skills of your security team because it's then going to come down to your relationships, right? You know, soft skill what? <laughs> soft what? Security and soft skill? Do they really match? <laughs> the good ones match, but you know, are you the person that uh, you know does have all these controls that are enforcing and actually people are looking for ways to get around you because you're just making life difficult, or are you somebody that they feel they can sort of work with? Um, and I think that really comes down to relationships rather than, unfortunately, policies and process. Yes, because they're still <laughs> and ultimately, you know, that, that's a very important pop, uh, topic because as security people, we're becoming, we're broadening our spectrum. So we were, we used to be the guys be in, in, in the server room together with the server guys just saying no. And now we, we just turn completely into these business enabled people. And I think that the tide shifted when the CISO level became a board reporting role and uh, it gave finally the authority to security to be there, but also required a step up of security people on, 
well, now you have a business impact or a business exposure. You need to talk business to business. And I think as an industry, we still struggle to do that. We tend to go in the rabbit hole of talking uh, risk or, or, or not talking enough risk, but talking about problems and not contextualizing the problem into the business sense and only being focused on, well, security is a problem and you need to fix it, not just uh, how much risk it adds and how much the asset that we're trying to protect actually is important because that's, that's giving that contextualization that is absolutely key for business, but we struggle to do. Yeah, and most of the training programs or the routes into cyber, they don't really cover those things, you know, and that's where actually people that maybe sometimes pivot into cyber have a really good benefit because they have they have some of those different skills or they're used to some of those conversations. But we don't we don't really talk about that enough, especially sort of as you're as you're coming up in security. You know, we talk to people and I see loads of conversations. I'm sure everyone does on social media about, you know, which certs will I do and how do I get my first job? And we're not like really talking about what skills do I need? What soft skills do I need and how can I go get those? Maybe that's a different way in. I think we need to. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And I think as an industry, we need to mature and stop maybe well there are certain jobs that are cool in cybersecurity, like the red team versus the blue team versus the purple team so the pen testing versus the defenders and the more technical roles sometimes they can be more attractive i think we need to just demystify the aspect that other roles like architect or grc people risk and compliance people are as critical as as, as other roles because sometimes they suffer as a stigma. And that's why we have like 2000 of security certification and not a lot of stress on business related certification that thinks business or security as a whole, as a, as a more holistic view. And maybe that's also why we have a problem on, on scaling up CISO. So why CISO, when they reach to a point, they're either super technical or non-technical at all. And they, they kind of line this, this uh, challenge of either not being able to talk to the uh, technical people or not being able to talk to the business. So do we create more coaching and executive um, kind of training or technical certification, but open to everybody? Well, maybe. And it's not just restricted to security either. You know, how many times have you talked about an accountant that is boring and only gets numbers, like, you know, and, and doesn't know how to talk to people? Like, we... We kind of apply these stereotypes to all sorts of roles within the business. You know, HR is seen as the blockers that you don't want to go tell anything to because you're <laughs> going to get in trouble. Like they're, they're not all true for every single person in those roles, but like every department has that, you know. And that's why I think you see when you look at like leadership uh, roles in, in large businesses, they often have really weird roots into those roles. They've done different roles and, you know, maybe in legal in different countries quite often, like they've moved around. And, mm. you know, I, I think that gets underestimated in business as a whole. So, yeah, you know, I think people should see the value maybe in taking experiences in different departments or learning from other areas. And there's, there's coaching courses and things like that for all of these professions, like cyber people can go join them too. So should we push cyber people into finance or cyber <laughs> people into HR and see what happened? Um, I forget which business it was, but there was one business I was familiar with a long time ago and they required all of their execs to have spent at least six months working in the HR department to get an understanding of, of that. And I think, I don't know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of CISOs and a lot of them really like reporting to the CFO because they say how, you know, that gives them that 
understanding of how to quantify risk in a way that then the business is familiar with. So maybe. Yeah, no, I, I, I talked to at least two CISOs that had the same exact opinion said initially we were completely scared and, and dreadful of like, yeah, we don't want to report to a sweet CFO. It's only going to be talking about money, but that uh, helped them contextualize and create and focus more on the risk and financial aspects. So uh, gains versus uh, benefit versus uh, risk rather than just purely off. There is a security problem. Let's fix it without that contextualization. So I think it's key, uh, but pivoting back maybe on the on the supply chain problem i have i have a story to tell that it's it's so funny that uh, happened at, i can't disclose to who but uh, fundamentally uh, somebody that was maintaining or a system that was or a supplier that was maintaining uh, air conditioning system got breached and nobody ever thought that uh, they had a route to the data center for, for no reason whatsoever and they managed uh, from from that company that was breached. They managed to get all the way to the data center of the other company. And then the company asks, "Why do somebody in uh, an air conditioning system need to have SSH access or completely flat access to the data center?" And the answer was because they asked. <laughs> <laughs> and hence, we granted. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that easy. Yeah. <laughs> Stop being a hacker, stop being a red team, becomes a supplier. <laughs> All your wishes shall be granted. <laughs> but on that subject, do you have some funny story or some uh, insightful story that you can share that you're able to share about some of this stuff or... I think there's lots that we're all familiar with as an industry, right? You know, the fish tank in the casino that's been hacked and the light I've used bulb. that, I've used that plenty of time. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if they're real or are they are these like cyber urgent urban legends? But um, you know, I think we all have those stories and I think they do they do help get people's attention, right? They're real. But yeah, but the that's probably not your main Goal. risk. Like, you know, how how likely is that? Like, okay, well, we'll just, you know, make sure our fish tanks aren't connected to the internet and we're safe. Like that's that's not what you really need to be thinking about. Or our bikes. Or our bikes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden's pelotons apparently striked a big, uh, big no-no in the White House. Yeah, we're going to be listening to Joe Biden on his peloton if we don't cut out his microphone. So, <laughs> please um, segment your bikes from your main network. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've heard a lot about this this year, right? You know, with people being at home and how do you know how do True. our personal networks impact our, our work networks? Like, you know, that's the that's the bigger risk really and most people like being honest even me sort of switch off a little bit like I don't I don't want to go secure my personal internet like you know can't someone take care of that for me um and I think that could be really interesting you know where we get to with that you know how are if we if we continue to work from home for a period of time how are companies really going to look at managing that risk you know how much security do they want or should they be entitled to in a person's home you know that's um that's something to to you know to think about for the future, particularly maybe at the exec level. You know, should you have a private space? Should that space be be lockable? Like, should you have your own network that the company owns in your in your home? Yeah. Something, yeah, something that is really going to last for us for the long term. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. 
AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right because right now it's becoming the norm of being completely distributed. So as we realize, also the bad actor will realize that, you know, well, why do I need to attack the HQ when I can attack the, uh, a house that is absolutely reachable from outside the home and maybe it has a weak connection or maybe, you know, I can plug something acting as, I don't know, a gardener or something or a, or a, or a maiden and stuff like that because it's... It opens new scenarios, and I'm curious to see if, if in threat modeling scenarios or in attack possible scenario, we see somebody dressed up as a maiden and, <laughs> and showing up at an executive house <laughs> with a small Raspberry Pi. No, and I'm not giving anybody ideas. <laughs> I started my career working with like physical security and business mm. continuity crisis management people and they would you know they would go visit exec houses they would you know look at do you keep your hose outside and someone can potentially use that to flood your house and get access to you so they were looking at those risks and that was like 10 plus years ago you know now the risks are we've probably forgotten about that because everything's gone online but you know maybe sure. we do we probably need to be thinking, and I know a lot of people in cyber do, but not all, you know, we do need to bridge that physical security and that that cyber security element, maybe more now than ever. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But then there is how much how much do we invade the privacy of the home? So I was discussing one of the CISO because um, there were a couple of topics of, you know, you're in a home that is shared and you have your kids uh, doing whatever they want on their laptops and you, you never know if it gets compromised and ultimately is in the same network as you're working and you know it could be used as, a, as an attack vector or somebody targeting so away from spare phishing into maybe the easier people so do we also train uh, the son or daughter of an executive into cybersecurity awareness training as well because they become part of the household now you know, there is um, there are a couple of companies that do that as well. You know, they um, there are security awareness tools and they give that to employees and their families. Um, I, I forget the stats, but I think there's stats that, you know, if you've got good security awareness and hygiene in your personal life, you bring that into your business life. So which makes a lot of sense. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe that's a more a solution that's a little easier to apply to a general workforce. But for execs, you know why can't you rent them a space why can't you make sure they have a secure space maybe put in there you know a totally different network in their home like if, if you think their information is that valuable and then you know maybe there's some sort of compensation balance there but you know if that really is a risk you're worried about then you can probably sort of do something about that that doesn't necessarily involve changing the way their family operates yeah and and a lot of company right now and hopefully in the future is going to save a lot of office space. So you can potentially delegate something like that to an executive and say, you know, get a bigger house. Potentially as an executive, you won't need a bigger house because you have a space that you can use as an office. But 
shipping a, a bunch of uh, I don't know an access point and and an, an additional internet line as a uh, backup, you can you can afford it as a company at, at least for the critical stuff and at least you know do that exercise. But I think all these space is new for us uh, and for a lot of company. Um, I think we saw in in the beginning of COVID and everybody has talked it like to the death about uh, you know uh, where do they connect and how do we reapply zero trust <laughs> on the endpoints. So I'm not gonna even touch that, but I think we we shifted the mindset from okay that was just a short period of time or maybe this is gonna stay for a little while or maybe this is gonna be the norm for a lot of company. What do you think? Yeah. Prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to see a hybrid model that probably gravitates to more in-office time than we originally thought. Um, that's, you know, I think we we will miss that human connection. And I think it's easy to keep people involved when you're all remote, but it's much harder when some people are at home and some people are in the office. So that's that's my prediction. And I think we have to look like sort of taking it back to the security. We kind of have to look at, you know, what is the threat? Like all of these things are possible but how many of them are really like happening and happening on scale when actually you know you've got a dozen critical unpatched vulnerabilities on your system that maybe are a bigger risk than you know what your where your exec is and where he's leaving his data and you know how he how he's accessing things or she so you know I think that's that's something to keep in mind you know like where where is the risk really rather than the possible no, I agree. I absolutely agree, and it will be interesting to see to see the evolution in risk management and uh, the evolution in threat modeling on what people consider risky. And in that space, do you see how do you see the maturity of the organization in, in risk management and risk assessment rather than risk management internally and externally? I think organizations understand risk right like risk and you know it's a pretty key factor of being in business and I think the evolution is in how we in cyber communicate that risk and starting to have a conversation around what levels of risk are acceptable and I think that's where we as an industry are probably moving right you know I think we're we're getting there and that's yeah that's really where I think it's going and I think it's that understanding of you know not just what what threats are possible, but what threats are really facing you as an organization? And then, you know, what vulnerabilities you have and then how you communicate that level of risk to a business. Yeah, the contextualization is key and understanding which asset do you protect and how critical they are uh, or how important they are because there'll be different level of criticality. But it goes back to the problem of understanding your business up to a certain degree, understanding where your data is and understanding where your application are and... I have to admit, we're not really good at that. I haven't seen a one organization that is really good at uh, defining even how many assets do they have. In the cloud, maybe it's, it's, it's becoming easier. So doing enumeration in the cloud, having a, a really good understanding of how many assets do you have, where with a little bit of effort uh, is getting better. So do you think that's going to be critical or do you think there will be other elements to be critical in the risk assessment of your position and your risk exposure I think like we're gonna we're gonna kind of get there and work out what is where right like but it's it's really hard you know I I totally get it you know I probably started you know thinking about this a few years ago thinking like 
Why can't you patch everything? Why don't you know where your stuff is? Surely this is really obvious. And then the more people I've, I've met and spoken to, particularly in large organizations, I really get the scope of this problem. You know, it's you often have old legacy systems and you have so many people, so many geographies, uh, departments, you know, it is, it is hard to work out where that is. And it takes a lot of time and it takes, you know, somebody being totally focused on that, uh, maybe even a team totally focused on that to work that out and to build those relationships with the business as things change, as they add in things and, you know, and stop using things, understand how they really, how do they use them? So you understand how you can help them protect them. That's, that's important. So going away from the technical and back again in the people and relationship <laughs> management. <laughs> you can't avoid them, right? You know, well, we hope as a security people, sometimes we hope to avoid the human aspect, but unfortunately we can. And we're actually even more dragged into that because we're part of the business. Yeah, I feel like as an industry, you know, we talk about like people process technology, right? And I feel like over the years, I've seen that that cycle kind of, I feel we're firmly in a people part of this cycle. You know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll swing it back to technology at some point. But I do feel right now the industry is firmly on that people focus. True. Social engineering, phishing is, a, is again that uh, convincing people. I haven't seen a, a, a cycle on process because nobody likes process. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we shift between technology and people process, whatever. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> You know, we're seeing a lot around awareness, right? You know, a lot of awareness roles, awareness companies, companies focusing on, you know, behaviors and, you know, we're certainly seeing investment going into those areas as well. No, I, I agree. And governance and um, applying those things actually get you out of jail most of the time because not, not applying certain things, actually, it's illegal in certain regulation and in certain industries. So I think... We need to we need to look at the wheel, but I I totally agree with you. Right now we are in the people phase. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Anyway, we come close to the time, and we have another tradition on the podcast that we leave everybody with a warm and fuzzy feeling, with giving a positive message on um, I don't know the situation or cybersecurity. Generally speaking, cybersecurity, but considering we are in people aspect, I'll, I'll leave <laughs> I'll leave the decision to you, <laughs> Carla. <laughs> Oh, warm and fuzzy. I don't know if I do that. Anyone that knows me will say I'm going to struggle here. Um, I think <laughs> warm and fuzzy is what I've really liked this year is how I think what I've seen is we've really come together as a community. I love seeing posts with people about their kids. I love how kids and pets jump into Zoom meetings. And it's really highlighted that, you know, we're with people as well as employees. And that is something I really hope we carry carry into the future is kind of things maybe start going back to normal. Here you go. Stay human, stay real, and <laughs> maintain <Yeah>. that. Maybe <laughs> maybe bringing kids and pets in the office, don't know how much is applicable, but, you know, we're more than so. Who, who knows? <laughs> I've done it before. It doesn't work out that well, to be honest. <laughs> but until Zoom, it's fine. And until you have tape where you can tape kids and, <laughs> and your cat <laughs> on the wall, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Carla, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming and sharing your thoughts on risk and third-party risk management. And very good luck with your new adventure. And I hope I'm going to see you in a little bit of time and you can share 
maybe horror story or good news and good stories about uh, third-party supply risk management. Carla, an absolute pleasure. And everybody, thank you so much for coming and listening to the Cloud Security Podcast. Thank you, Carla. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 